Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, Tuesday was election day, at least in 48 of Idaho's 115 school districts. We saw quite a bit of turnover on school boards across the state between candidates, uh, between incumbents not seeking re-election and incumbents who, who lost. Lots of turnover, potentially some turmoil coming in some school districts. We'll wait and see how that plays out. But let's talk first about the results. Joining me this week is Blake Jones, who has spent the past couple of weeks writing about school board races and spent much of this week uh, looking at the numbers. Blake, uh, what really jumped out at you this uh, this week? This isn't the most decisive answer, but looking over the results left me with um, a lot of questions and you know not a lot of clear trends that I could articulate. We saw you know some mixed results for some of the conservatives who had been backed by um, GOP party officials in you know local jurisdictions across the state. And, you know, while we may have seen some, you know, larger trends in some of the higher profile school districts like Nampa and West Ada, where there were conservative sweeps in all of their races, you know, there were some smaller districts where some of the GOP and conservative candidates really didn't have the same kind of success. Yeah, no, I think that kind of jumped out at me as well, is that... um I think it's really hard to draw really sweeping conclusions off of these school board elections. And I think it's tough to draw conclusions off of school board elections anyway. I mean, they're very local races. You know, we can kind of look at some of these results, uh, the Post Falls result involving David Riley, the uh, candidate who uh, had to explain or try to explain away some anti-Semitic tweets. The races in eastern Idaho involving two members of Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's education task force. Both of those uh, task force members lost resoundingly. But it's hard to say what exactly is going on in those districts. Uh, you know, a lot of factors can come into play in these really small, really hyper-local races. And perhaps we should use some of the expert analysis that has been coming out nationally in the Virginia gubernatorial race that has said, you know, in Virginia, we don't know how, you know, this race was impacted by some of the hot button education issues like alleged leftist indoctrination and uh, mask use. And I think that we should use the same kind of caution when we're analyzing these Idaho school board races because, you know, like you said, on an aggregate level, it's hard to draw definitive conclusions. You had the chance this week after the elections to talk to some of those trustees elect in West Ada and Nampa. And again, these were districts we were watching very closely because there was a pretty clear distinction between one slate of candidates and another. Also, all open races. We were going to have turnover in Nampa and West Ada regardless. And a pretty clear result in terms of the more conservative candidates winning in both districts. What did they have to say as you talked to them this week? Yeah, let's start off with West Ada, both the biggest school district, and this is the first time that we have heard from either of these trustees-elect in Lori Frazier and Angie Redford. As you said, these two um, candidates who were openly endorsed by the local Ada County GOP and had campaigned alongside one another, um, you know, I had a chance to talk to both of them over the last couple of days and ask them, should we be seeing any big moves out of the West Ada School Board in January? And that largely depends on what the board does in the last couple of months of sitting trustees terms. Mm -hmm. 
So in West Data, as um, has been the case in some other large districts across the country, this issue of masking has drawn a lot of political upheaval among parents and school board members. And while the West Ada district last month voted 4-1 to keep up a mask mandate while the state continues to ration health care, we're likely to see an effective flip in the attitudes of the board, or at least the majority attitudes of the board on masking, because that we have two trustees who are opposed to any type of mask mandate under any coronavirus conditions who are going to be coming in in Fraser and Redford. So if the district does still have a mask mandate by January, you can more or less expect that it's going to be lifted. Right. And it could be not just the question of what happens with the mask mandate, but it could also be a question of who ultimately is going to make that decision. Because this is a school board back in the summer that very clearly gave Superintendent Derek Bubb the ability to make those decisions uh, unilaterally. Possibly this school board with these two new trustees may want to take some of that authority back. Yes, and I'm curious to see whether they do choose to rescind um, Dr. Bubb's authority. And, you know, particularly because although Superintendent Bubb did at one point decide to implement a mask mandate unilaterally in the district, at this last uh, meeting uh, last month, while the majority board decided to keep up the mask mandate, you saw Superintendent Bubb was pushing for mask mandates on a school-by-school basis based on rates of coronavirus spread. So even as case rates were relatively high compared to what we've seen over the course of the pandemic, Dr. Dr. Bubb hasn't you know, you, you know, universally pushed for masking at all schools. <laughs> and so much could potentially change between now and January in terms of the, the coronavirus. I mean, the vaccines are now just rolling out for five to 11 year olds. Case numbers seem to be slowing down as best as we can gather. Hospitalizations seem to be slowing down. The crisis standards of care issue might look different between now and January. So, so a lot of variables even before these trustees take office. Right. And the adoption or approval, I should say, of a vaccine for five to 11 year olds was a threshold at which the majority of the West Data Board had promised to reevaluate their decision. And, um, you know, so like, you know, like you said, there might not be a mask mandate in January, which will um, direct the trustees in different directions, I'm sure. So in Nampa, it's not as much an issue about a mask mandate because there there is none. But there's been a lot of talk in that race about social emotional learning. Talk about what you're hearing now in the wake of the election results. Yeah, so Nampa's election could prove especially consequential for the provision of social emotional learning, um, particularly because this is a district that despite um, the curriculum being drawn into a divisive debate about critical race theory and indoctrination, the district has said it will, you know, stay the course and continue offering these kind of supports. Yet the three, all three candidates who won out on election night Tuesday had voiced criticisms of social emotional learning that varied a little bit in their shape. So, you know, for example, we had Tracy Pearson who won out has uh, grouped social emotional learning in with critical race theory and common core and a variety of um, you know, magnetic Which aren't really 
appropriate comparisons. There aren't really appropriate parallels to be drawing, but that was what you ran on. It is, yeah. And we have the people in the district saying, no, these are not the same thing in any respect. Yet, um, you know, this is the kind of messaging that we heard during the campaign. And w whether it was that issue or others, it was, you know, enough to help her, you know, defeat her opponent. We're hearing a little bit of a different message from two other trustees who were elected. Uh, Jeff Kirkman, for example, in an Idaho Freedom Foundation survey that he completed, talked uh, about SEL as as you know being provide providing social and emotional supports, but he argued that teachers shouldn't be administering it, and said that it shouldn't be in you know day to day classrooms and. When I had a chance to talk to Brooke Taylor yesterday, who was also elected to the NAPA board, board, she said that you shouldn't expect any drastic, immediate changes pulling back social and emotional learning, but that she has concerns about teachers administering um, this curriculum because, uh, yeah, she thinks that school counselors and other folks should be doing that kind of instruction. And just maybe to draw that out further, I mean, I think the reason that NAMP is going to be so interesting to watch in the months to come is you could have very drastic changes when you have essentially flipped a school board. You have three brand new trustees that could have some far reaching implications, not just for social emotional learning. It could have, uh, you know, it could have far reaching implications in terms of just the, the overall direction of the school district, the leadership of the school district. I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to lead to tension between the trustees and the administration or the superintendent, but it has happened in other districts. I mean, West Ada, a couple of years ago, uh, you had a lot of tension between newly elected trustees and then superintendent Linda Clark. She uh, eventually wound up resigning in, in the face of all of that. So. That's why we watch these races so closely, and that's why, you know, in a district like Nampa, where there's been such a, you know, a clear swing in the election results, uh, this is a district we'll watch very closely starting in January. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and how trustees gel with the administration. And I think more globally, I think what I'll watch for, and it kind of goes to a piece that I wrote this week in, in the wake of the election, is how do these new trustees approach issues that they didn't necessarily run on. I mean, a lot of these candidates ran on pandemic protocols and ran on critical race theory. There's a lot more to district operations than those two issues. I mean, trustees have such far-reaching authority. They hire superintendents, and sometimes they uh, want to change uh, superintendents. They negotiate with teachers. They set curriculum and, you know, implement the standards that receive so much scrutiny at the state level you know they they do the curriculum that upholds and, and follows those standards so very far-reaching authority that you know doesn't necessarily have to do with the issues that we heard so much about this fall definitely and we're going to see all of these trustees or at least most of them if they complete their terms serving through 2025 a time at which fingers crossed we won't be talking about the pandemic anymore um yeah, and so they will have a long time to make an impact, um, particularly on issues that weren't hot button for them in the election. And that kind of struck me in my reporting this week. I, I spoke to Nancy Gregory, who's been on the Boise School Board now for 19 years. 
she is in the beginning stages of, well, it's a six-year term in Boise because they operate on a different campaign, uh, a different election calendar than most other districts in the state because they're a charter district. Anyway, she's looking at the long view because she's in office now until 2026. And what she's hoping is that, yes, we'll stop talking about the pandemic. Yes, we'll be on the other side of the pandemic. And maybe all of this engagement that we've seen from voters and from parents and from patrons might translate into interest and engagement on learning loss, on student achievement. So she's trying to take a longer view and maybe a more optimistic view of where things go from here. Mm. And we should definitely closely watch the way that that engagement changes um, if these hot button issues do eventually fade to the background. Um, you know, for example, uh, one one place that we can look is the West Ada levy election, where you know, despite voters turning out and electing these conservative GOP-backed candidates, they also lent support to re-up the district's two-year two-year supplemental levy. And you know, I'm curious both from an engagement standpoint with the board and how parents will engage with the board, but also how they'll engage with levy and school board elections in the future, whether we'll see any um, higher turnout. You you know, you know, talked a little bit about turnout numbers in your latest reporting. Yeah, I, let's talk about the turnout numbers, and then I do want to you know loop back to the supplemental levy in West Data. Turnout numbers, from what I could see, and I, I did a spot check on a few districts, a few larger districts that had contested trustee races in 2019 and had contested trustee races in 2021. You saw some huge spikes in turnout in districts like Lakeland in the Panhandle, Idaho Falls, Pocatello. At West Ada, you did see a, an increase in turnout. I think you had about 5,500 or so voters in each of these uh, contested trustee races compared to 4,600 voters in the one contested race two years ago. So an increase, not a huge surge, but definitely an increase. Caldwell, a district that uh, you, you were watching, where you did have a race between uh, one candidate who was definitely um, running on hard right social issues uh, like CRT, running on pandemic protocols and, and lost uh, fairly, fairly resoundingly. Pretty low turnout in that race. It was kind of in between the turnout numbers that we saw in the two contested races in Caldwell. So again, you know, hard to draw really conclusive, definitive, uh, you know, make those kind of definitive uh, conclusions that, you know, we like to make sometimes. It, it's a little bit complicated. And Caldwell could prove to be an interesting case study as we dive further into these election results because it's also a race where, as you said, one of the candidates ran on you know some of these defining um, hard right conservative issues like opposition to sex education in schools, mask mandates, etc. And but this was also a race where we didn't see high profile party endorsements, maybe with the same kind of publicity that we did in a West Ada. <laughs> And those partisan overtones that, you know, you talked about in the beginning in, in the races in West Ada, we definitely saw that playing out in Kootenai County. But again, the reason this is not such a definitive race is that, you know, the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee up there endorsed 11 school board candidates across the, the various districts in, in that county. 
They didn't get a clean sweep in Coeur d'Alene. They didn't get a clean sweep in Post Falls. Definitely a mixed result. So, you know, again, I think there, there are folks, uh, you know, you know, party regulars, maybe uh, conservative activists who would want to say that this is a, a sweep. Really wasn't. Yeah, there, we definitely can't draw those lines, um, you know, by any metric that we're drawing, whether it's based on whether a candidate had a GOP endorsement or whether they were campaigning on these um, kind of hardline issues. There's really, really no effective way to do so. But it will be interesting, even if we have to do it after the fact, to look at the money. <laughs> we're, we're waiting on some campaign finance reports because really the trustee candidates didn't have to report any campaign fundraising activity from this final month of the campaign. Those reports are due next week. Yeah, on the, on the, too late for voters to actually you know, do anything with that data, but it's data we'll still want to look at. Definitely. And yeah, you're right. So any contributions that were made to trustees campaigns uh, between October 10th and November 10th, they're under $1,000 had not yet been reported, uh, at least not under state requirements. And so, yeah, voters will only probably have a full picture of those finances come November 10th, which is fascinating, especially since so many of these races, even high profile races, were ones where candidates jumped in just before the filing deadline mm-hmm. and started campaigning late in the game. And just what we know from West Data, even from the early reports, this was a an expensive school board race, certainly by Idaho standards. You had uh, Lori Frazier had already raised more than twenty thousand dollars by the end of September. Uh, Angie Redford more than twelve thousand. And I like to say that what's interesting there is you know these are West State school trustee candidates who have raised more than Sherry Ibarra has raised statewide all year for what we suspect will be a run for another term. Where she's not announced, but she is doing some fundraising, which suggests that she may be uh, back on the ballot. Let's wrap up really quickly, because you mentioned the West Data Supplemental Levy, and I found those results fascinating. It did pass, in spite of everything. Mm, It did pass. Not decisively, voters gave 52% support to the levy. It was a re-up of the district's existing $28 million supplemental levy. But this was interesting because West Ada doesn't always have success with their supplemental levies. They, um, over the last few years, have managed to keep theirs on the books, but that's sometimes been after, you know, trying multiple times at the polls to get voter support. And um, a word that you used earlier when we were talking about this was the sort of decoupling Mm -hmm. of the, you know, dissatisfaction with the direction the trustees are going from folks desires for the school district to continue to have more money, which is sourced from patrons' property taxes. Right. And so we'll never really know how voters in those two trustee zones voted on the supplemental levy. And when you look at the supplemental levy results, it's district-wide as opposed to the two trustee zones. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, they're in the big picture, at least, you know, the district's patrons in spite of any concerns that they have had about pandemic protocols, online learning, and, you know, you know, any bigger social concerns, they, they did hear the message from West Ada that they felt like this is a needed component of their budget. I mean, it's $14 million a year that's been on the books for a while. And, and you're right. I mean, we only need to go back to 
the spring of 2020, right, in the, the, the start of the pandemic, West Data had a supplemental levy that failed. They had to come back in August and get it passed. So supplemental levies are not a, a sure thing in, in West Data, and I was interested to see this one pass. I was too, and we should remind listeners of something you mentioned earlier in the podcast, that though West Data didn't have one of the drastic upticks in turnout over the 2019 trustee election that others did in the state, they did see an uptick, and these races were held alongside municipal elections, and despite those rises in turnout driven by those kind of external factors from the race, you know, we continue to see the uh, levy pass. And what's interesting here, uh, there's been a lot of criticism, uh, a lot of you know, backlash over supplemental levies because by far the most uh, supplemental levies we see, we see in the March elections when they are standalone elections. This is one case where the West Ada District put it on the ballot in the general election when turnout was highest. So that, that's, I found that interesting uh, as well. Blake, now we get to rest up for a whole week before the uh, the legislature heads back into to session. Again, great work covering the uh, the run up to Tuesday's results and the re- and you know breaking down of Tuesday's results. Um, and thanks for coming on the podcast this week to talk about it. All right, thanks for having me on. That'll wrap it up for this week. Um, you can catch uh, Blake's stories on the the school board elections and m- my analysis on the school board elections. Uh, both of those stories. All of those stories are online at idahoednews.org. And if you do one thing this week, if you read one thing at Idaho News this week, definitely read Sammy Edge's stories on homeless uh, students and how homeless students have uh, been coping in the middle of the pandemic. It is outstanding reporting and outstanding writing, and I can't recommend it highly enough. We will be back next week with another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week. 